You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Liston Witherell, founder at Serve Don't Sell, about empathy and self-esteem in sales. So I recorded this episode a couple weeks before all of the coronavirus and COVID-19 stuff was going on. And I still wanted to air this episode for a couple of reasons. One of the things that's really been on my mind lately is as a sales community, how do we empathize with our prospects? And going a little bit more into that, how do we make sure to keep our self-esteem high? Because opportunities are a lot harder to come by right now and could be for the foreseeable future. So how do we make sure that we have um, good self-esteem around how we approach sales and feeling good about what we do instead of feeling you know, predatory, like we're taking advantage of prospects that are down right now. And I had a really good conversation with Liston about this, and I still uh, think it's very much applicable. So I wanted to share it. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay, and this is the Blissful Prospecting. And in this podcast, I share tactics and strategies to help you set more meetings with your ideal clients by sending better cold outreach. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how we can have more empathy for our prospects, how we can have more self-esteem so that when we go to prospect, we can be more effective at getting these conversations started. I've known Liston now for a couple of years. I really love the work that he's doing at Serve Don't Sell. And one of the things that really sticks out to me about him is that he actually has a marketing and a sales background, and he does a lot of sales trainings for some of the uh, more successful professional services companies out there. And he's done a lot of work in the SaaS space as well. So what we're going to talk about is how he started his career out by sending cold emails, empathy and self-esteem that we already talked about, and really how not to let rejection make you gun shy. So really interesting conversation. The full show notes are at blissfulprospecting.com slash podcast. You'll find all the other links to the podcast we've done so far, along with a bunch of helpful resources too. So anything you're looking for on how to send better cold emails, how to make better phone calls and that sort of stuff you're going to find there as well on our website. So go check that out, blissfulprospecting.com slash podcast, and let's get into the interview. So do you remember how we met? I think I do. I think either you or I sent the other person a LinkedIn message and I'm sure you did your homework and that's why you're asking me this question. Yeah. And then we had a, a call based on the LinkedIn message. Is that right? I sent you a cold email actually. I think I might've messaged you on LinkedIn or done some of that stuff, but okay. uh, I sent you a cold email. Okay. And what did the cold email say? So what I was, so this is back uh, I think it might've been before we formally started Blissful Prospecting. It was something along the lines of, I see that you're in Portland doing cool shit. And like, seems like we might be working with, this is back before you, I think you were doing sales training. I think you might've been on the tail and just either getting that started or yeah. finishing up with some of the marketing stuff that you were doing. I think I was trying to figure out, do I call it a sales coaching business or is it a sales <laughs> consulting business or what the hell is this thing? Um, I think that's right. And if my memory serves me correctly, and actually I'm sure it does. When I talked to you, I was standing outside of my gym because I was about to go work out and you were like, I was like, oh, how cool. Another 
cool person doing entrepreneurial things in Portland, interested yeah. in sales and marketing. And then you're like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm going to Austin. And I was like, oh, man, should I just hang up now? Yeah. Um, but here we are. You know, what's really funny is we've never met in person before, dude. I Welcome to the internet. I have a lot of friends like that. Um, it's always nice to meet in person for sure. And I'm sure we will one day. But yeah, we've never met in person. We've done this yeah. a whole bunch. Yeah, I forgot that we ended up taking a, a phone call because we were moving to Austin, which is a whole other story. We were talking about that before <laughs> we hit record here. But one thing that's really interesting to me about your journey is that, and this is something we have in common, is you have a lot of marketing experience. And then now yeah. you're doing sales. How did that transition happen for you? Because you were doing some pretty cool stuff um, as a director of marketing, right? For a consulting firm. Yeah. Did you ever see yourself getting into sales at that point? So let's take a step back from that because, you know, I think it's important to, to understand my mindset and even bias, right? When I think okay. about sales and marketing, I have a master's degree in environmental science uh -huh. and I don't say that to impress anyone, but only to say that in all environmental sciences, the questions are so big that what we need to understand is systems right? How things move through systems, what variables affect things. And so when I went into my, my first job out of grad school, which was director of business development and marketing at this consulting firm, as you said, we had about 80 people. You know, I, I approached it exactly the same way. I thought about it in terms of systems is like what systems create the outcomes that we're looking for. And because of that, I think I approached marketing and sales in similar ways. And so if you ever talk to me about body language or human behavior, right, it, it can come off as kind of mechanical because I'm looking at it as a system of behaviors and interactions. Ah. And that's, that's kind of the, the thing that has influenced me the most. So when I was in marketing, um, sort of the marketing hat, because I wore both the sales and the marketing hat in my, my day job role. This was back in 2011 to 2000, end of 2014. One of the things I did was I revamped our website. I thought about SEO for the first time, search engine optimization, how people find us on Google. Um, I thought about email marketing. And one day I sent out an email blast to our list and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I mean, it was probably spam by all standards. And back came a couple of replies and we got like $60,000 of business out of that. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. This thing worked, right? And that was kind of the first lesson in there's no replacement for effort, right? Just going out there and being in front of people has value in itself. Of course, we can optimize the way we put ourselves in front of people, but there's no replacement for the effort and the awareness component. And so as I did that, I became more and more interested in digital marketing. And eventually though, as you know, Jason, marketing becomes very much about numbers on a spreadsheet. And I miss talking to people. I miss the, the sort of human interaction part. I missed getting feedback, right? That live feedback that you get, which we get in some ways from posting on LinkedIn or, you know, messages from people listening to our podcast, which go right, Jason, if you like this podcast. Um, but in sales, it's very much about those one-to-one -one interactions, and I miss that, and I wanted to apply that systems thinking to sales, which is what I'm doing now. So 
how the environmental science thing that's what you majored in how did that turn into marketing well so my goal was always to go into consulting with the environmental science degree right so like let's backtrack just even more than that like what okay so because i'm thinking in college i wanted to be a forensic scientist Uh uh-huh and then i accidentally got into sales because someone came in my classroom and talked about like running a house painting business over the summer Okay. And I didn't even know there would be sales involved. I didn't really know what that would be. <laughs> so you knew you wanted to be a consultant, but yeah. what happened before, Do your parents, are they consultants? Did you know people? Like, how did you know that it, majoring in environmental science would be the next step for you to start consulting and get into marketing? Like, what the, yeah, what it's the that age old thing, right? When you ask a three-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they all say yeah. consultant. Um, <laughs> so it's <laughs> a good question. Um, so I knew I wanted to do environmental work, but I knew I wanted to be on the business side. And in order to do that on the business side, there's only a couple options. Like you could go into oil and gas, which I would argue isn't really environmental work. Send your hate mail directly to me about that. Um, and there's only so many ways that you can be on the business side of environmental work. And, um, because, um, because of that, I really wanted to be sort of doing a, a like the business decisions, the marketing, the sales decisions. Did you look up to someone? Did you have a mentor or someone? Like, did you see someone doing this? And you're like, oh, that'd be really cool to be. like, how did you learn even what consulting was? That's or a good question. Getting- yeah. So I did have yeah. a couple people who I knew okay. who I'm no longer in touch with, but yeah. like I knew a guy who ran a business that did um, carbon reduction consulting uh, engagements. So So you knew all these people doing like really intricate, weird, uh, sort of things that you don't hear about in high school or college. They don't really talk about like way too niche. Yeah. 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 Um, no. Yeah. But I, I knew I had a conversation with this guy who actually offered to hire me and not go to grad school. He's like, I'll give you a job right now if you don't go to grad school. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think so, but thanks for the conversation. But when I, when I met him, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of an interesting thing. Like I was interested not just in how the work was done, but how did you get the work in the first place? And I was always more attracted to that part um, because, you know, the closer you are to the money and the business, um, certainly the more leverage and control you have over what happens. So yeah, that's, that's my short story. Yeah, I had, I had several mentors. I had, um, you know, reached out to also professors and like kind of the career offices in college and talked to them about where do students go afterwards? Like, what are the best paying jobs? Um, what are some of the most interesting work? And then I, from there, I would just go out and sort of, you know, send cold emails as you would be a yeah. proponent of and just start talking to people <clears throat> about what they were doing. So let's talk about that because we met through a cold email. Yeah. You like sending a lot of cold emails. It sounds like your career was really influenced by sending these sort of cold outreaches. Um, Like when you look at prospecting, I mean, a lot of times, like when I look at sales or think of sales or marketing, I I think more, I'm an analytical person, but I'm thinking more like conversation. Mm -hmm. And and it makes me really anxious actually, because I'm introverted. So I'm thinking I got to go talk to a person that I don't know that could reject me. Do you not think of it like that? Because you're such a systems and like a workflow kind of person do you think more about like what the workflow would be for that rather than the inner like how do you, what's what's going on in your mind and why is it seem it seems like it's 
I don't know if it's been easy for you, but it just seems like, oh, why wouldn't I send a cold email to this person? Seems to be your mindset. So first of all, excellent question. Um, I, I've never, I'm, this is the first time I'm thinking about it in those terms. I would say, yes. The first thing I am thinking about is systems and workflow. How does this whole thing chain together? Um, and so like I recorded a podcast recently on my show about how I secured my first sponsor. And so, you know, if you're listening, Mixmax, to this, right? Yeah. Mixmax. Yep. And so, Great you know, tool. it helped. One of the things that helped was when I sent that email to the person, I recorded a video and said, by the way, I'm using Mixmax to send you this. Yeah. And so, you know, she didn't comment on that, but there's no way that didn't help. Um, but, you know, I talk about my whole process from where do I find my prospects? Why do I think that they're a good fit? How do I secure their information? How do I reach out to them? What do I say? And then how does the sales process work once I actually get them to say I'm interested? Um, so I mapped all that out before I sent an, a single email, right? Yeah. I do, however, think a lot about the conversation, which to me is another system of interaction. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that the conversation should be forced or inorganic. Of course, it shouldn't be because no one wants to show up for that. It's just that I'm, I can't help it, I guess, Jason, is the, is the yeah. real thing here. I can't help but think about things that way. And so I think what it does is if you go into these uh, sales interaction and you're thinking about specifically, one of the things that changed my mind about sales was I had a sales coach early on who asked, I'd say, he'd go, do you have any wins this week? And I'd say, yeah, I'm having a meeting with so-and-so. And he'd go, what's your goal for that meeting? And I was like, uh, you know, like talk to the guy and like, I don't know, be friends. And he's like, so what? Right. And so I started <laughs> to think about, okay, what are measurable changes or behaviors that we could make in these conversations? And like, what do I need to get out of it? What does the other person need to get out of it for it to be worth their time? So to your point, I think... I am thinking about the nature of the conversation and I am thinking a lot about the other person and what's valuable to them. But I'm also <laughs> thinking about that in terms of a system. So I don't know if that's gross or uh, inorganic, but that, that's kind of the way I think about it. Well, that's, you say gross and inorganic. That's a really interesting to think about because I just did a workshop actually a couple days ago with a company that has six new salespeople. Yep. They have no experience selling actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was going in there and a lot of the anxiety that they have around sales is feeling really dirty about doing yeah. it. Uh -huh. And I think that the the impression that we have of salespeople is is your typical used car salesperson, the person you walk by in the mall at the booth that cares nothing about you or or what would be beneficial for you and just wants like money from you essentially. Right. And what you said doesn't really feel dirty to me because you're actually thinking a lot about the other person. And this fits in really well to this question I've been thinking about a lot lately and that you've been thinking about a lot uh, lately is, you know, how do we get prospects to pay attention to us? And it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is the very first thing that you do is think about like, what does this person want and what do I want? And it's the blend of those two things that actually makes a win. And, and 
I think where a lot of people make a mistake is that they either think at 100% about what they want or they prioritize the prospect like 100% also. And they're not thinking about what I want. And it's not, and it feels really unnatural when you talk to someone yeah. and, you, and you're not like really straightforward with what you want, but making like being upfront about there being a value exchange. Is this like, as I'm talking about this, is this kind of getting closer to what you're, what you're thinking? Cause I'm thinking like, how can we take more of a listen style approach to getting people's attention, like during the prospecting and sales process? How do we do that? <laughs> so, um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, and I tell this story on that podcast episode I mentioned, um, outside of my local whole foods, there's a woman who sells tamales, right? And so she's always calling out tamales, tamales, and she has a big sign and you can buy one for $3 or three for $7 or whatever it is. And people seem to love the tamales. What's genius about her being outside of whole foods is she knows two things about anybody walking into whole foods. One is that person is not price sensitive. They're willing to pay a little bit more for their food. And the second thing she knows is that person's already thinking about food, right? Mm -hmm. So easier sale. And so when I think about prospecting, I think about it very much in that way. Like who, who out there is the most likely fit for what I have now? So when I think about sales, right, there's, there's the type of person who knows nothing about the problem that they have, about the solutions that exist, um, about your solution, let alone any solution. And then there's a the type of person who knows they have a problem and they might be on the hunt for some sort of better way of doing things. I definitely want to sell to that second group, right? So I think the first thing, and I think this is a really interesting thing about sales training, is usually uh, a sales trainer will go in, um, like who's embedded in a company. They're the sales VP of sales enablement or something. And they'll go in and they'll give training on product and industry, right? This is how the industry works. This is how our product works. This is why we're better than the competition. What's much more important than that is having an intimate understanding of who you're selling to and why they should buy it and how their lives will be different afterwards. And so I would say how to be listened, how to have a little listen in your ear is to just ask yourself, do I really know this person that I'm selling to? Do I really understand what makes their world turn? Do I really understand the, the, the problem that they have right now? You know, I, I use this metaphor of building a bridge. So, you know, think about you're standing at the edge of the San Francisco Bay looking across to Marin County and there's no bridge there. But you know that your biggest desire in life that will move you forward is to get to the other side. Well, as a service provider, my job is to build that bridge for you so you can cross. I'm not selling you the destination. That's ultimately what you're buying. But what I actually provide is the bridge, right? And so understanding how that person got to be there and what they need to cross, that's our goal. So, uh, you know, I think really a deep amount of empathy and curiosity is what's required in order to have this orientation. And if you're not empathetic and if you don't genuinely care about who you're selling to, you're, this will never work for you. Yeah, interesting. So there's a lot we can unpack there. I want to talk about empathy first because I think there's this big misunderstanding in sales about what empathy is. You know, I saw someone put up a post from a well-known company actually, and, and they said that empathy is not important 
for example, if a prospect's feeling really frustrated about something, you shouldn't also feel frustrated. And I'm like, dude, that's not empathy. You know, we're not we're not telling right. you to be an empath, right? There's a there's a big difference between those right. two. So when we're thinking about how do we get prospects to pay attention to us, you're suggesting that hey, we should have more empathy. How do we how do we have more empathy for someone that we may not have ever done their role before, so we don't really know a lot about them? Yeah. Um, I think there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg and a flywheel here, right? Mm -hmm. So, and what I mean by that is if you're not a naturally empathetic person, I think that that's who this question is for. Like, how do I become more empathetic or more curious? I think as you start asking really surface level questions, right? So I'll give you an example. If I'm selling advertising on my podcast, my first question is, who is this relevant to? marketers obviously okay how well, are marketers? We, let's stop there real quick the yeah. fact that that's your first question is really interesting because it, i'm even thinking and i do a lot of this you uh -huh. know prospecting work right helping companies to this my first thing when you said uh selling podcasting advertising i'm thinking about like what can i put on the uh who can i pick on the podcast that would be a really good fit for my audience i'm not even thinking about why would it be beneficial for them it, it, there's like an insecurity I have that I think a lot of people have where they're, it's almost like, uh, well, what do I have to offer? Why would someone even want to talk to me? Does that fit into this empathy thing at all? Like this yes. the viewpoint of yourself? <laughs> yes, of course, right? It's like a therapy uh, yeah. session, dude. I'm just going to tell you about all my insecurities. No, no, no. It's <laughs> it's good because I, I have all the same insecurities. I mean, yeah. it, you know, nothing new here and you're not alone for sure. Um, I, I have that, but I think it's two sides of the same coin, right? So if I'm asking, who does this matter to? It, it's also the flip side of that coin is what do I have that matters to people, right? And therefore, who does it matter to? So I think it's, it's just a different way to ask the same question. Um, and so go, going back to the example, you know, my first question is, who's this relevant to marketers? My second question is, why would they care about this? right? Or how are they evaluated? And so a KPI, and this is easy to find, right? No matter who you're prospecting, it's really easy to find how are they evaluated or what really drives them. You can go out without even talking to people and start finding that. It's far better if you talk to your prospect pool and just interview them. That's way better. But through internet research, you can figure out what are the top KPIs of a VP of marketing at a type of company right? And so, you know, that's what I'm looking at. And so as you keep asking these questions, you'll go to the next one. Oh, a core driver of their uh, job performance is number of leads. Well, why does that matter? Right? And you just, if you just keep asking the next question, I think ultimately you will become more empathetic because they're a more complete human being to you. That's my answer. Uh, okay. So it sounds like what you're saying here is like, think about it from a metrics perspective. And this is something I've actually overlooked a lot in my sales uh, process, the B2B sales process in, in my career is thinking about, you know, what are the top two or three metrics that this person is driving and how, how are you helping them talk about moving the needle or about yeah. pain points they might be having that are making them not move the needle, right? As, as fast or as profitably uh, as, as they would like. So. Okay. So again, we could put, put, we go to a lot of different directions here, but well, so, I hold on. Let me interrupt you right there. Yeah. 
I don't want to give people the impression that the only way to go about this is to look for metrics. I'm saying if you continue to ask questions that go more narrow, right? Start very general and start to go more narrow. Mm-hmm. That's going to build a more complete picture of who you're selling to and create more empathy within yourself because you're just going to understand them more. Now, unless you're a sociopath, right? None of this applies. Just go do whatever you were <laughs> going to do. But for most of us, you know, you're going to learn more and more about this person. It's going to build a complete picture. I mean, think of a, you know, a novel that you read. You start to really learn about that main character. That's the kind of level of depth that I want to approach prospecting with or approach selling with. Mm-hmm. Now for you, you know, offline, we were talking about um, selling consulting services and what happens once we start bringing more people into the mix and huge questions. But certainly one thing that's true is now you have to have empathy, not for one person, but you really have to understand what drives the world for three people, five people, 10 people. And be able to meet all of their needs simultaneously, which is, you know, a, a exercise in plate spinning. But, uh, you know, the, the more we go um, towards this uh, orientation towards empathy, I think the more valuable we become and the more effective we become because collaboration and is one of the key things that needs to happen as we go to larger and larger sales. Yeah. I want to dig a bigger hole with this empathy thing because- Love it. I think that having struggled with it myself and I only got better with this and I'm just so surprised that I've been able to sell for over a decade successfully without (laughs) uh, doing a better job of this. But just going through therapy for me, honestly, personally helped me figure out a little bit more about like emotions and like what I'm actually feeling. Um, So when I get angry about something like what's actually going on inside, yeah, maybe right. I'm I'm actually sad or lonely, right? And maybe that's why it's coming out. So when we talk about empathy, what are some practical ways? Because I don't think that a lot of salespeople have empathy for their prospect. And I don't know it's if it's because they're not naturally empathetic or if the organization, like they don't really... Tra- what sales training trains on empathy? It, like in an organization, I know you probably come in and talk about empathy. I come in and talk about empathy, yeah. but... How do we, what are some practical steps that we can take? You mentioned interviewing your customers, but what are some other practical things that we can do to empathize more with our prospects? So one of the exercises that I do in my sales training is I ask everybody, and usually, you know, this is an environment with between five and 20 people. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask them, when you go to a client for the first time and they know, okay, here it comes what are they thinking? And everybody starts chiming in. And it's usually like, I'm going to be sold something. Um, This guy doesn't care about me. He just wants my money. And, and then I say, okay, now let's gather all of these, all of this feedback. I want you all to realize this is your opinion of what your client is thinking. Right? How many people here have ever had a client tell them, oh, you just want my money. And of course, no hands go up right? So I'm like, part of the problem with your empathy is that you don't like what you're doing, right? You're down on yourself. And these are people with 30 years of sales experience. Same thing happens when I ask, what do clients think when you, when you bring up money? Same, same exact thing, right? Oh, I want to win. I'm going to get over on this person. Like, it's this sort of adversarial orientation. 
And so what I try to do from a mindset perspective is say, look, one of the things that's preventing you from being empathetic is that you're approaching this with the idea that your client thinks it's a zero-sum game, that there's an adversarial competition going on here. That's not true. It's going to work best when we collaborate and we both maximize the value of the sale by us getting as much as we want and you getting as much as you want, right? I think to be fair to salespeople, one of the problems, and I don't know a solution for this, I had a conversation with um, Sahil at Bravado about this and I was not satisfied with what either of us came up with. The, one of the problems with quotas is it makes salespeople focus strictly on that bottom line outcome. Now, results matter, right? For sure, results matter. And some people are going to be better at this than others. No doubt about it, just like in any field. But the problem with the quota is it makes us fixate on getting quote unquote wins, right? Which a lot of software companies will tell you those wins aren't actually wins because we persuaded someone to buy something that didn't need it. And then we spent a bunch of money supporting them. And then they turned out after a year anyway, like that was a a really shitty sale. So it's hard, right? This is all for me to admit, it's hard to be empathetic because you have to be accepting of the fact that not every deal is going to work out. And that's the way it should be. (laughs) So, you know, put your headphones back in after I just blew them out of your ears because (laughs) it's true, right? Like there's, there's no scenario where everything's going to work out all of the time. And if we can accept that, you know, the, the good thing is when things go well, you know, that's great. And that's going to happen sometimes. The bad news is things aren't going to go well all the time, but that's okay too. And so I think to, you know, one of the things you need to start to adopt is this mindset of, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And if you do that, it may, I think it allows you, gives you the space and the permission to be more empathetic with whoever you're talking to. But if you're so desperate to make it work every time, it's hard to be empathetic because your key, your key goal there isn't to help your client, it's to get the sale, uh, even at the expense of helping your client. Okay, so it sounds like there's, again, do, coming back to this question of how do we get prospects to pay attention to us? So it sounds like there's two components is what I'm getting. There's the, the empathy piece of like really asking yourself, like what do these people care about? And having some knowledge on, metrics they might be caring about, stuff that is going on in their job that would make it a win or pain points, et cetera, right? And then the other part of this almost sounds like a self-esteem kind of thing around sales and getting straight with your internal dialogue about the value that you offer. Mm-hmm. How, uh, how do we... Because I talk a lot about this with cold calling, this helping and this curiosity versus assumptiveness and like, I need to close this person. And that seems to click with people thinking, Hey, I need to answer the question. uh, Can I help this person? And does it make sense to have another conversation to dig into that? That Mm -hmm. naturally fixes a lot of the tonality issues that people have in the nervousness because it's not about closing a deal in that first, you know, in that cold call or that email. I agree Mm -hmm. with the, self-esteem kind of thing. I see this a lot and it sounds like you see it a lot with really experienced salespeople too. What are some things that if a person feels uneasy about what they do or 
a prospect's misconceptions of of what they think of them as a salesperson, like what are a couple of things that they could do to improve their self-esteem in that area? Well, good news and bad news, right? So I'll start with the bad news and then finish on a higher note. (laughs) The bad news is some people have low self-esteem because they feel as though they're selling a product that's not good and they feel like they know it's not good, a product or a service. If that's the case, you have to quit. (laughs) I have no other way to say it. And the reason is, if you think it's not good, like let's separate whether that's true or not, right? But if you believe that, your your prospects are going to know that you feel that way. That is not an attractive thing, right? There, people want what you're enthusiastic about. People want what you're excited about. People want what you believe in. And if you don't truly believe in it, that's going to come across, right? So I think there that's just a sign that there's a mismatch, whether or not it's true, right? Whether or not the product or service doesn't work. Now, the good news is, I think what you can do What's also true is no product or service is going to work for every customer 100% of the time, right? We want to have something that does a really good job as much as possible, but it's not going to be 100%, right? Life isn't perfect. People are messy. What I would do is start to look at, you know, what's worked in the past? Who is this really helping? How has it changed their lives? And most companies have a whole list of case studies. And I think that's one way to start to build your self-esteem and your belief in what you're doing is to look at who have we helped? What difference did it make for them? And therefore, who else would be a good fit for this? Because, you know, sometimes we may mistake um, reaching out to the wrong prospect and talking to the wrong people as a sign that our service or product is no good. But that's not necessarily the case. We may just be talking to the wrong person, right? So really getting an understanding of what the alignment needs to be, I think for me, gives me a lot of, um, a lot of confidence in, in really understanding, okay, when I talk to this person who has this problem, I know this is going to be super helpful. So I want to talk to as many of those people as possible. Yeah, that's really good advice. And you know, if you're like an SDR or BDR talking, who doesn't get to see the actual sale happen or, or hear it? Um, you know, talk to your AE or your account manager, your, the customer success team too, um, because they'll have all kinds of good stuff to share that you could talk about and all kinds of reasons why people like the product and what they get from it. Um, I really love that advice. I want to ask you something that might be a little bit personal in this area. Uh, if you're comfortable going there, have you ever had a time where you struggled with your self-esteem as a salesperson or as a marketer? Yeah, and had to kind of go through this battle a little bit yourself. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. And it, for me, honestly, it doesn't go away. Like I, I don't want to be one of these people on the internet who claims like everything is perfect all the time. It's just not right. Yeah. Like I struggle with all of these same things. Um, I've, dug deep on these topics and I figured a few things out and I've explained it in ways that have been helpful to other people, but I'm still human, right? So I definitely experience this still. And, you know, so, uh, you know, just to get specific, I'll tell you one story that was deeply upsetting to me, um, happened last year and this had never happened to me. I had a consulting deal come to me, um, through, I think they found me on my website or something like that. And 
sales process went well, took a couple months, uh, 500 people at this company, pretty large company, took a while to make the decision. A couple people on the C-level team had to get together and chat about it. Um, and I was walled off from those conversations, so I wasn't privy to exactly what happened. But I put a contract in their hands. We had a start date. I had a verbal agreement that we would move forward, and I had a kickoff call scheduled. Damn. The day of the kickoff call, one person shows up, but the C-level person doesn't show up. And I said, hey, where's Tim? And she's like, yeah, so we're going to have to pull the plug on this. Oh, bummer. No kidding, bummer, right? And I was like, well, what happened? So, of course, they hadn't signed the contract, right? Like, I'm trying to make all of these balls move forward so that we can get closer to the, to the goal of starting. And my assumption, of course, my goal there was to say, at the end of the call, I need that contract signed before I start on any of the stuff we talked about. Um, but that has never happened. I've always done that in good faith and that's never been an issue. And they just told me we're partially owned by a private equity company. I didn't know that. Um, and they basically control the voting shares, uh, on the board and they came to our president and they told us we had to cancel projects X, Y, and Z so that we could save money. And my project was one of those. I found that to be devastating, right? Because I was, yeah. I kept doing soul searching around like, what could I have done differently? And it took me about a month or two to kind of allow myself to say, I think I did everything right. The only thing I could have done differently is to really hold out and play hardball on like, we're not going to start anything related to the project until I have a contract. But again, like that's never been an issue for me. I'm not big on like, these long documents and legalese and all of that. Like usually it's a handshake agreement and everything's fine and people pay on time and I don't have to worry about it. So I think the wrong way to take that is to say, okay, now I'm going to start putting policies in place to avoid that pain that came that one time. And I think that's what starts to happen in sales organizations and any bureaucracy works this way. And I'm, actually that's another topic I'm going to dive into soon on my podcast is like the, the effect of bureaucracy on sales and all the nasty things it creates. But I didn't, I didn't want to go that route, right? I wanted to say, I'm still going to trust people. That hurt, but I still want to trust people. And so it took me about a month or two to kind of recover my confidence and go, man, that's a big hole in my revenue this year. Like I went from, honestly, Jason, that, that changed me from having the best year ever in my business to having a mediocre year, just like that, right? Yeah. One contract. And it was hurtful because I had other things that I put off um, as a result of that coming in. But you know what? Look, it's harder to live life um, hating people than loving people, honestly. And, you know, it's, I know this is a, a little kumbaya for sales, but it really is true, right? Like, because if, if you go through life being skeptical of other people and, not giving them the benefit of the doubt, who it really affects the most is you. Oh, dude, thanks for sharing, man. That's, I think it's really cool that you're able to really turn that into a positive, you know, experience in terms of like, hey, the lens that I look at uh, other prospects moving forward, I'm not going to look at them through the same lens. I think that's also a big part of 
this question that we have, how do we get prospects to pay attention to us is we can't carry around our baggage just because someone's an asshole to you on a cold call or you do a, a intro call with a VP and they just like treat you like you're a piece of shit and they don't have time for you. Um, not letting that affect the next call that you do or the next email you send and being able to look at and not be jaded really or yeah. gun shy around this. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, man. That's, it's something I struggle with. I had a similar thing happen with a conf, uh, a speaking at a conference last year mm. and, you know, someone like in an entry level role just kind of pulled the plug on that through an email when they were like, yeah, we definitely want to have you come over uh, and speak at this nonprofit conference because a big uh, client vertical for us is nonprofits. And I was like, oh, damn, like every big nonprofit we want to work with is going to be here. I get to speak on stage and then to have like an entry level person be like, no, actually 3MO, we're not. I felt really rejected, man. And yeah. it made me really gun shy about reaching out to people to get on podcasts because that's how I initially reached out to them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's a really big prospecting lesson there. You're not taking baggage into the next interaction because that's a really good way to turn people off. And, and, you know, while we're in this therapy session, let's just go deeper into it. Um, Maybe this podcast should be called Sales Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> sales Therapy with Jason Day. I'm all for it. Um, I'm definitely not the therapist, though. <laughs> so. You're the one getting the therapy? Yeah. I think one thing that really helps me, not just in sales, but in my day-to-day -day life, is, is meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and it allow the, the key thing about meditation, so, you know, I've never been the guy who can sit there and meditate and truly clear my mind for 10 or 20 minutes. Like mm -hmm. thoughts are just coming in, right? Like ping pongs, just whizzing by your face. If you're watching a ping pong game, there's just like no control. It's like, oh, there's that thought again. There's this thought, but what it allows you to do to always come back to try to distance yourself from these thoughts is to, to really understand, I only have so much control over the thoughts that enter my mind, but I do have control over how I act on those and if I choose to act on them or not, right? So we can't control the thoughts, we can't control the emotions, and you know we can talk about willpower some other time if we really want to go into the therapy session. Um, willpower and, and sort of freedom of choice and is, is that a thing, um, and free will. But I think for me, like I'm a pretty emotional person, emotionally driven person, and it helps me be resi more resilient to do that. So, you know, I don't know if that's kumbaya for you or not, but, you know, I find that to be really But there's helpful. a lot of science behind meditation, though. Oh, there's a ton of science Yeah, it's not just it, this right? some like, hey, let's feel good about each other, you know, get crystals, you know, kind of stuff. I don't know if you're into crystals, but, uh, How dare you? <laughs> I'm not into crystals. No, but so meditation you don't seem and, like a crystal kind of guy, <laughs> you're, you're very science. Like what I'm take from our just friendship over the last couple of years. And from this conversation is you're very systems and yep. logically driven in that yep. regard. There's obviously an emotional component to it, but huge. The yep. first thing you would do with crystals is you would look up and see if there's a study on it and there's yeah. no study. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Is there empirical evidence that crystals work? That's how my mind works, right? <laughs> if so, there was, it'd be part of your sales training, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine passing out crystals to a room full of salespeople? Oh, um, man. That's hilarious. Um, 
but I think also, you know, journaling is another important thing where, yeah. because it forces you to articulate how am I feeling? So the, the version of journaling in sales is a postmortem, right? Or an yeah. end of day recap. So you don't have to write your personal journal about how you felt through the day. But if you're, if you're a BDR or an SDR, you can write out what worked today, what didn't work today, what were my little wins, what's one thing I would change. You can also, if you're an AE or a business owner, write out a postmortem, and I recommend you do this for every deal. What happened that I thought would make this deal work and why ultimately didn't it work? We have to make assumptions sometimes. But I think that also helps you distance yourself to, rather than say, I should feel bad about this, you can say, here's some concrete steps I would take that are different next time. And that's the feedback loop that we need in order to improve. Oh, that's super cool. There's so many good little takeaways there. I, I definitely love meditation. I have not been very good about it lately, but I think if you have a form of meditation, for me, it's been more exercise than going on a walk um, where I kind of get that meditative effect. For some people, it's surfing. Yeah, so if you do something where you're not interacting with people and you can like clear your mind and focus on something else besides the chatter, yep. for me, that's like F45, like those really hard workout classes, like really clear mm. my head because I, I can't think about anything else during the class because it's so fast paced. Yeah. So I love that. The journaling part, I love too. I think there's so much, even doing a, a, like a recap of a deal that you won, I think people tend to yeah. skip that too. Yep. Like what actually happened and most of the time when I am working with people, I'm like, dude, I, I'm not the expert in your business. You know your prospects better than I do. But what I can tell you is like you need a framework for going through and looking at your successes and failures and analyzing what worked and didn't. And there's always a pattern there. Right. And then just replicate that moving forward. But what I'm getting from this whole conversation, though, is that getting a prospect's attention is just as much like a mindset thing as like a tech, like the technique or tactics that you use. It's you know, how are you presenting yourself to that prospect? Like, are you showing up without baggage? Are you confident in what you do? Do you have a good understanding of their day to day and what's important to them and like what's going to be top of mind for them? Is is that is that how we get prospects' attention? I mean, is there anything that you want to add or yeah, change? Or um, any- <clears throat> so I, I drew a pyramid um, recently on sort of how I think about the different layers of sales improvement and sales Mm -hmm. systems, both at the individual and the organizational level. And the bottom layer is why, why am I doing this? Right? Like, and I think if you start with kind of a virtuous, why that will help you revisit anytime you're feeling down, it'll help you revisit like, Oh, that's right. Like my, my why is I want to change the way millions of people think about sales forever. And I want this to be a profession where moms don't cringe when they find out you're doing sales, right? I want people to say, oh, that's a service-oriented job, not that's a a me-first, you know, meathead, talk, you know, talk until the other person passes out and takes out their checkbook kind of job. I don't want that, right? Like, I don't, that's not the way I want the world to be. And so I think starting with why is important, but tactically, Let's go back to your initial question, and I'm sorry it took an hour for us to get here. Tactically, I think the key thing is, and you have this in your reply method, and this is why I think you and I get along so well, is tactically it's got to be focused on the other person and what they want, right? Obviously, that has to align with what I can do for them and what I want out of contacting them, but 
initially, and I, I get this all the time because I send out daily emails, I post to LinkedIn, I have my podcast. I get a lot of people asking, how do I improve my cold emails? Surely you get 10 times more of these than I do. But what I often see is uh, an email that says something like, hey, I know you get a lot of cold emails, so let me just cut to the chase. And it's like, here's the 18 things I can do for you. And I always reply back, how many choices do you think you just put in front of that person? And who is bearing the load to think about what you just did? And they're always like, oh, I didn't even think about like, there's 18 things we can do for them. They need to make 18 choices. Um, That's like a horrible recipe for disaster. So if you had just taken the time to say, what would my customer think about this? What would the recipient of this email or what would the person on the other side of the phone think about this? It will change your whole orientation. So I, I think empathy matters, but tactically the way that looks is we're putting their needs first when we actually do approach them. I'll give you one final example. I recently, um, in the last few months, bought another CRM because I go through CRMs like gallons of milk in my house. Oh, and God, terrible too. <laughs> I switched three times in the last two years. Oh God. Back, back yes. to the original one. Yes. Um, and I show up and I had picked this one for a very specific reason. And before the call, and this should be a salesperson's dream. I wrote out like, here are the seven things I want to cover on this call. And I want, I want you to demonstrate to me how I would do these things within your CRM, because I think it has an advantage in this one area. So we start the call and I said, did you see my email? He goes, yeah, that was super helpful. And then he proceeds to give me his standard demo, including a sales deck. And I was like, dude, I took 30 minutes to write out that email to tell you what I wanted to cover here. And we didn't even talk about any of that. You just gave me the standard pitch that really, let's be honest, it's lowest common denominator. It's not customized to anybody. And I did end up buying the CRM, which may be evidence that what the salesperson does isn't everything. The product and service matters also. The product overcame the The product uh, overcame it. Sales experience. (laughs) But I did leave that conversation with a really negative feeling about the salesperson, right? And so to me, that's like the exact, uh, an exact example of how not to be during that process, right? I would say, you know, if someone takes the time to go that in depth, go off script. The script is only there as a skeleton to help guide a conversation that otherwise would not have structure. But if it's given structure by the client, follow their lead, right? Talk to them about what they want. Yeah. Prioritize your prospects agenda. That's what I always say. I love it, man. Well said. Well, this is a lot of fun. I'm glad we're able to dig into uh, some therapy uh, ish topics. That's always fun for me to talk about that. (laughs) Been a good patient, Jason, and I will send you the bill. (laughs) Um, Well, I definitely want people to check out your stuff. I love your podcast. So where's the best place for people to connect with you? And can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, if there's a, a company it's looking for some help with sales. Like what, maybe what kind of companies you look for and what kind of problems you help them solve? Yeah, absolutely. So I help professional services business businesses close more sales. So I help them build um, a, a system, a sales system, so they know what to do, think, and say throughout the process. 
a lot of professional services businesses have this problem where they have a founder who brought in all the business either through the strength of their charisma or through the strength of their network. And when those things start to dry up or they want to grow a business that's bigger than them, they experience this, right? Because they start to hire salespeople and they go, oh, I don't know how to tell them what worked because I'm not really sure. I just was doing my thing. Um, And so I help those businesses start to build a system that works. And I also help individual consultants have a sales process who otherwise don't really know much about sales. Um, If you're interested in learning more about me, I'd love it if you checked out the Modern Sales Podcast. Just type in Modern Sales wherever you get your podcasts or you can go to modernsalespodcast.com. And of course, you can connect with me on LinkedIn where you and I, Jason, are frequently seen on each other's posts. Yep. Awesome. And uh, the website's servedontsell.com, right? Servedontsell.com. That's cool. right. I definitely link to this in the show notes and I highly, highly recommend the podcast because Listen brings in a lot of like actual science into there and weaves it into the sales process. So it's not just him like being a sales guru and saying, I did it this way. You should. There's a lot of science behind it, which is super cool. So appreciate you coming on the show, man. This is a lot of fun. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And there you have it. One of the things that I'm really thinking about after this interview is this whole concept of self-esteem and, and where does it come from and and the feeling that you have about what you do <laughs> and the negative connotations that we can associate uh, with sales. And another big thing too is how not to let rejection make you gun shy. So um, I want to hear from you. Go to blissfulprospecting.com slash podcast, check out the show notes, connect with me on LinkedIn. I want to hear what you're doing right now to empathize more with your prospects and keep your self-esteem high so that you are not fearful of rejection and you can continue starting conversations with your prospects. So we'll love to hear from you. One other quick favor before you take off, please check us out on iTunes and leave an honest review about what you think about the podcast so that I can continue getting on great guests like Liston and we'll see you next time.